Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Tinfoil Hat. Today's episode is brought to you by Omaha Steaks. That's right, Father's Day is just around the corner. Are you trying to find the perfect gift for Father's Day? Does dad love the grill but hates the hassle and the poor quality at the grocery store? What better way to kick off grilling season than by gifting Omaha Steaks on Father's Day package to your dad? Okay, it's really convenient. Omaha Steaks delivers hand-trimmed, flash-frozen, and vacuum-sealed meats directly to your door in an Omaha Steak cooler. They have a wide variety, pork, poultry, veal, lamb, bison, seafood, vegetables, all the highest quality cuts and with one-of-a-kind flavor. All beef is USDA inspected for quality and aged for 21 days to unlock the full flavor and tenderness of the cuts. The Omaha Steaks even gives you an option to customize your cuts for your dad's grilling needs. Find recipes, wine pairings, and etc. I mean, they load you up, guys. This is a really good deal. Right now, Omaha Steaks is giving a limited offer to our listeners for Father's Day. That's right, 78% off. This is a really amazing deal. Go to omahasteaks.com, type in tin foil hat, all one word, in the search bar, and you can get the Omaha Steaks Father's Day package, which includes two tender uh, filet mignons, beefy, two beefy top sirloins, four chicken steaks, and the list goes on and on and on. Four jumbo franks, 12 ounces of all beef meatballs, one pound of steak fry, house fries, four calmer apples, blah, blah. It keeps going, 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 going. It's, I mean, I've gotten this myself, dude. It's pretty amazing. Sounds tasty. Well, you're a, you're a vegetarian. I can eat a lot of that, though. Yeah. I mean, dude, it is good. Come over, get some, homeboy. Again, this is a very limited time package for only $49.99. When you go to omahasteaks.com, type tinfoil hat in the search bar and Father's Day package to your cart. Don't wait. This offer ends soon. Go to omahasteaks.com, type tinfoil hat in the search bar, grab your dad, and fire up the grill. You want to check us out on all of our social media platforms on Twitter at Tinfoil Hat Cast, Reddit.com backslash R backslash Tinfoil Hat Show, on Instagram at Tinfoil Hat Pod, or all comedy t shirts.com. Email us at Tinfoil Hat Pod at gmail.com. Yeah! Welcome back to another episode of Tinfoil Hat. Tinfoil Hat. Tinfoil Hat. Come with me into the waters of conspiracy. With Sam Tripoli. Sam Tripoli. Sam Tripoli. Sam Tripoli. Mr. Sam Tripoli. Is that really all? With my friend Ryan Davis. Uh, hi, Ryan. We're I'm like the first gay couple of conspiracy yeah. theories. Yeah. I think it's beautiful, man. I love their partner. Say that again. It's some mystical, deep, dark realm crazy shit. Wake up, Aaron. There's reptile people everywhere. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Are you ready to get your mind blown? Revolution will be podcasted. Yeah, yes, it will be. It will be podcasted. Boom. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. You know who we are. You know what we're here to do, homeboy. Just want to say thank you, everybody, for helping us have our best week yet. We got the number 22 on iTunes. I guess, yeah, I got to stop putting that out. I got to, but I like to let the people know. You know what I'm saying? Let them know we're kicking a lot of ass and taking a lot of names, and it's all because of you guys. So thank you so much. Uh, Ryan, how are you? Man, I'm riding high from our success on Friday night at the Belly Room, man. What a fun show that was. Aaron, you were missed. I'm, you were probably uh, out there eating stuffed crust pizza, banging your lady, you know? I know you couldn't make it. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, it was a huge success, man. It was. Uh, I was really happy with it. We sold out the place. And, uh, you know, it went well. And guess who crushed it? Eddie Bravo. Slayer. Eddie Bravo had a wonderful set, man. He really crushed it. It was awesome walking up those steps and just hearing laughter. And I was like, dang, Sam must have already gone on. Yeah. And it's like, Eddie, it's so interesting, dude. You would just uh, disappear. You just, where'd you go the whole time? I'd be like, where's Ryan? I got, where's Ryan? I was filled with anxiety. Every time I've ever been involved in any sort of like high thing, I like get, do my thing and then I just can't watch What do you have, social anxiety? No, not social anxiety, but I just like, I don't know. I just, I don't, I love art 
the creation of it, but the outcome, you know, the aftermath. So I just want to get in and get out like an assassin. Well, we got to hang around because sometimes I need some help on some things. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't want to be like, eyes on Ryan. I was uh, like 100 feet down talking to Bobby Lee and you come down there. You're like, what are you doing? And yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got your own show. But the uh, comedy store is very happy with it. Everybody's really happy with it. Trez uh, killed. Uh, Eddie Bravo crushed. And it was fun, man. It was fun. It was it, it. was good to run it. It was good to run the show for this big weekend. This uh, Friday night, June first, we are at Cobb's. Boom! Tin foil hat comedy night. Brought to you by Live Nation and All Things Comedy. That's right. Go to Cobb'sComedy.com and go grab your tickets now. Don't go to these third party websites. They're gonna jack the cash on you. It's twenty. I think it's twenty twenty five dollars. It's in that range. So go do that, and then the following night, it is Sacramento for the Tim Foyle Hat Comedy Night at the Sacramento Punchline. Woo! Yeah, I'm excited, man. Uh, You know, it's fun doing comedy for podcast listeners because they always just chill, and they always just, you know, and they listen, and it's real fun. By the way, a lot of uh, Latino listeners. Well, it is L.A. It is L.A., man. It is L.A. You know, so it was a huge success. So, guys, if you're in the north, if you're in North Cal, come on out. It's going to be a fun show. We're doing an hour of stand up, and then like forty minutes of forty of your questions, Q and A, and then May first. Uh, oh yeah, May thirty first. May thirty first. I'm at the Belly Room with uh, Christina P, with Ryan Sickler, uh, Steve Simone, myself, and Joanne Cody. Coyote, maybe. Coyote, maybe? Joni Coyote. Joni Coyote. Wow, that's yeah. a nice name. That's yeah, Christina's cool. running her half an hour uh, Netflix uh, degenerate special in the belly room before she goes and does it on June, I believe, 4th in Vegas. Boom. Well, there it is, man. Come hang out. Rock out. Things are going. The, you know, the, uh, the movement is growing uh, by day. I, I see the growth in the show, and it's all because you guys helped spread the word, telling you all your friends. With that, I want to welcome... Uh, I'm very excited to have him on the show. Uh, how long you been? Uh, you've been at the store forever, right? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> he uh, he has a great podcast called Tom Rhodes Radio, and he's one of the best comics. I mean, the guy is a crusher, and it's always a pleasure to see him work and have conversations with him. Please welcome Tom Rhodes. Thanks, man. My uh, my history with the comedy store is pretty interesting. Okay, let's hear it. Um. I'm from Orlando, Florida. A very underrated comedy scene, Orlando, Florida. A lot of murderers come out of that area. Now it's good. Now Florida, a lot of great comics have come out of Florida. But um, I started uh, when I was 17 years old in 1984. In 1986, I won a contest, the funniest person in Central Florida. Oh, boom. (laughs) Not Florida, Central Florida. And the grand prize was I got a plane ticket to fly to Los Angeles, and I got to perform at the world-famous Comedy Store. Crazy. And in retrospect, it was, uh, it was Monday night. It was on the potluck night, and I got to do five minutes. And um, uh, Louis Anderson uh, uh, showed me a lot of attention. Yeah, and, I've heard uh, this story before. Yeah, uh, yeah. and, uh, you know, whatever. He... Um, he, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, he solicited my, uh, my young, Ill- illuminescent uh, yeah, skin yeah, for uh, yeah. nefarious purposes. He, he bought people I know groceries back in the day. So, uh, so that was the first time I played at the comedy store. And then, yeah. When you played at the store, did you realize what was going on? And what was the store like at that time? Well, I mean, to me, it was like, uh, I thought this was going to be my big break. I had never been to California. Right. I had never been to Los Angeles. I, right. The comedy store is just, you know, it's like um, the Parthenon on top of uh, Mount Olympus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, it right. is the pinnacle of, of comedy. Right. It's where Pryor and Kinison, everybody. I mean, it was, uh, it, you know, it was, it was like the Vatican for me. To walk in there. And uh, and I, I didn't know it was an open mic night, you know. I Still thought, open mic at the comedy store, yeah. though. So, uh, and then I didn't play there for many years until uh, I had a sitcom on NBC 96 to 97. And I lived in the Hollywood Hills, uh, like straight up Queen Street, like two miles above the comedy store. And I would breeze down and do sets in the main room only. 
Yeah. And was very, you know, pampered, spoiled sitcom star. And Mitzi was always very nice to me. I mean, yeah. I, I was a... Uh, I was a guy with a sitcom. Yeah. And I see guys in there now, um, you know, not like, you know, uh, you see some people who, right. the, the the TV guys, they get to do sets because they're, yeah. they're right. on TV and they haven't uh, gone through the ladder. Yeah. You know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then I didn't start playing there again until just, I don't know, three, four years ago. Because you went on to, uh, you were, had your own sitcom and you, uh, your own talk show in Europe. And I heard, I've always in heard. In Amsterdam, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've always heard stories of that. You're very well-traveled. It's very interesting. I, Tom Rhodes, you're, you're always, I could always tell when it's a, a room a, a full of foreigners. Because everybody else is bombing, and then you go up there and crush. <laughs> and you have this ability to connect with people from all different cultures and all this stuff that's very interesting that a lot of people don't have. There are nights where it is a, it's the UN in there. Yes. And everybody should have their weird little like interpreter thing in their ears trying to tell them what's going on. And people aren't having good sets, and I just watch you super crush it. It's very interesting. You're, you're, you're a master of your craft. You, so when you left after the sitcom, you left, you went out, you saw the world. Yeah, no, and, you know, let me just address that. My favorite kind of audience is multinational and multi-ethnic. And yeah. the comedy store is world famous. So you do have uh, sometimes audiences there from all over the world, like, you know. Oh, yeah. All, so, I mean, people come to L.A. now just to go to the comedy store. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just this. People are planning Mecca. vacations around. Yeah. Now, uh you were through the old comedy store back when it was the its heyday. Like, what was that? When did you get picked up? Was it in the heyday time at the comedy store? Uh, it, it wasn't. It wasn't in the dark, bleak period. Yeah, it was I got still, picked up in the dark, bleak period. Yeah, the comedy store was still was still happening. Uh, ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, man, it was rocking, and the main room was always rocking, and. You know, how do you compare this? What's going on right now with how it was? When nothing you compares to now. I mean, even back in the day, in the seventies and eighties, you know, everybody was doing coke. Yeah, and you know, I don't know how much coke you guys have ever done. All but, of it. All of it. Uh, you know, you're you're kind of in your own head, mm -hmm. and then you're thinking shit that isn't reality. Yeah. Uh, now it's like you know you can you can smell marijuana smoke wafting. Uh, in the in the in the regions, sometimes I I think it's, I mean I don't know it's 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 uh, easy to uh, mythologize those, you know back in the seventies and eighties, yeah. which um, it rightly deserves. But I think uh, for the benevolent brotherhood, it's probably much more of a cool place now. I think now is the peak. Comedy store is a hard. It's become. You can't fuck around in there anymore. Like it used to be. What do you mean, like to do fuck around? Like to like do new material? Like it is like even late into those. It is murder after murder after murder. There is no, there is no weak point in that lineup. And it just used to be where I could go up and like work on my new shit, work on that. I just, I don't think it's like that anymore. Well, I don't think you can go there and do the same set all the time. You know, I think you do have to work on. New stuff. My wife always telling as I'm walking out the door, you better be doing some new shit. And she always reminds me, you you don't do the comedy store. Uh, she said the main reason you play the comedy store is to impress other comedians. Oh, for right? sure. So dude. when you get off and guys go, holy fuck, I love that bit that you did about the so and so, and wow, is that true? It is just that story you told. Yeah, I mean, it's great to crush there, but I mean, that's my wife's perspective. She's super intelligent. And um, I, to me, I, uh, that did not dawn on me until she kept pointing it out. But she was like, you know, she's always like, you know, are, 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 you, are you, what are you open with? Oh, what are you opening with? What are you, uh, <laughs> what new Dude, shit are you bringing? For me, opening is everything. I, yeah. For my whole thing is because I have resting bitch face on stage for sure. Like if I don't smile, <laughs> it is a fucking different energy. Even when I'm watching, because I'm editing my special right now. That's the Armo in you. Even when I, I can see the energy drop when I don't smile. If I don't fake a smile to let everybody know these are just jokes, <laughs> the energy, I mean, it goes instantly to murder. You know what I'm saying? So it's like. Well, you can be imposing on stage, and I, I like your style. Uh, and I, 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 uh, 
I like it myself, and I always call it uh, playing the front of the net because it was my favorite thing. Uh, I love John McEnroe back in those 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 tennis tennis. Um, Jesus, they were they, they weren't matches. They were like just the battles. Between, they were great between uh, McEnroe and Bjorn Borg. Oh, yeah, back in the day, and McEnroe had this style where you see a lot of tennis players. Well, they they'll sit in the back of the court. And they, they kind of, you know, do that side to side. And they're just kind of safely hitting back the shit. The balls out, big dick rock and roll maneuver that McEnroe did was he played the front of the <laughs> net. And he would just sit there like an animal and crush the balls from the front of the net. Yeah. So, like, when you play the front of the stage, I was, that's what I refer to it you as. Know, it's very and interesting. And you, you play the front of the net. And yeah, I, I, mean, I I respect comics that do that. I Instead get... of leaning against yep. the wall mm-hmm. with your foot up. The one hand on the brick. Yeah, like and you little... see like the alternative LA comics, not at the comedy store, but like like open mic nights and they'll pull out their phone and go, what else? What? <laughs> <laughs> That's the foot against the wall. It's uh, it's interesting. I, ha- I do something called Gatorol. That's my style. I have to start simple. I have to start really simple, grab them up top, and then slowly drag them down into the muddy waters. And then I fucking, that's where I can go crazy. But I can't come out like guns a blazing. I'm j- I don't know what it is. I've tried to try different ways this way, but it just is what it is, man. It's just, I just have an interesting style that. I don't know, man. I don't know, man. It's just uh, starting a new hours just been a lot more harder than I thought it was going to be. It's just like I've talked about everything I care about. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I'm just trying to find something that I can rage against that everybody. Because I'm doing this new bit about how I think I was born in the wrong dimension. Like I, there's a dimension out there that I'm like the carrot top of that dimension <laughs> where I'm just fucking crushing it and – you know, it's so I have to like, it's just a weird time we're in. But let's get into... Uh... Well, before we get too far, I, I actually owe Tom Rhodes about probably $20 from about four years ago. Uh, I went to the improv and you were playing and I was like, man, I want to see Tom Rhodes, but I just spent the rest of my money on, you know, booze. And uh, so I walk around the corner, I pick a flower and I go to the front door there and you're playing in the lab, I remember. And I said, uh, Tom put me on the list. And she's like, Tom put you on the list. I was like, yeah, uh, Daisy. And she's like, Daisy? And I showed her the flower, and she's like, don't cause any problems. Sit in the back. <laughs> so I go and sit in the back, right? And then I'm like, this is cool. And I walk past you going into the bathroom, and then I felt all like, oh, I'm not a real comedy fan. I'm sitting in the back, giant figure starts walking towards me. And he goes, hey, hey, let me move. My, my, my buddy Tommy's playing. It was Ralphie May. Uh. He sat down next to me and just slapped me in the chest the whole time. And I remember <laughs> you being like, is that Ralphie? And then afterwards, you came up, and since I'm sitting next to Ralphie, you're like, where are we going, gentlemen? And I was like, I don't know, but I sailed this ship as far as I can go. And I just dipped out and walked away from you, too. And you guys were like, what was that about? So apologize, Tom. I snuck in, but it was one of the best things I'd seen in the lab probably to date. Uh, you have no reason to apologize. That's a beautiful story. Thank and you. the fact that you, know, you did that, um, the story alone makes it worth You know, I had some guy tell me, some guy apologized to me, this fan, he wrote me a, an email, and he said he was going through like some really t- tough time in his life, like this is like 15 years ago, and he went to see me at the Punchline in San Francisco, and he brought... Are you from... No, you're from Florida. Okay. No, but I, I, start, I moved to San Francisco when I was 22. Like, a lot of people think I'm from San Francisco, which I have no problem with at all. It's, you're from like Proops, Margaret... All that period. Yeah, Patton. Proops, Pat Oswalt was there. It was such a great time in oh, comedy. Yeah. I think that was the heyday of San Francisco comedy. Margaret Cho, Pat Oswalt, Blaine Capatch, Greg Proops, uh, Dana Gould was around. Uh, it was just, it, it, and that was such a unique class. If you think of those, and also so like, unique. I mean, it's kind of like like I was saying about impressing other comedians at the comedy store. It was like everybody was friends. Everyone's challenging. You know, you feel like. I, I got to, you know, bring some shit that's going to impress these brilliant comedy minds who are all friends of mine. Um, you know, they're, they're not lame shit didn't survive there, you know. Um, but some guy told me he was going through a tough period in his life and uh, I was his favorite comedian and he brought a recording device oh. to my show 
and he re- he secretly recorded the show. He made a bootleg, and he said that he listened to it like you know over and over, yeah. and it helped him through this tough period. And the guy was like, "Sorry, I did that." And I was like, "Dude, that's I <laughs> please please come and bootleg my show." Yeah, yeah. You know, if you could get a secret recording device in, yeah. please by all means. Uh, you know, don't sell it, but you know that's how uh, Russell Peters. Blew I'll be off. dead one day, and yeah. sure, why not? No one else is going to record that show. I always um, think about that. It's I think like- that's a huge compliment, and uh, and then also, you know, like what reminds me, you telling the story. You know, when I was, I don't know, I was like sixteen. I started on comedy at seventeen. Jay Leno, who back in the day was an edgy political comedian. Very few people remember. He was playing this jazz club in Orlando, in Winter Park, actually, uh, where they did comedy, where they had big names. And uh, I snuck in the back door. His opening act was like a backstage steel door. His opening act walked out, and I stuck my foot in the door and slipped right in and secretly watched the show without paying and, you know... Uh, I got to meet him afterwards and everything because it's where the dressing room was. But, Crazy. But uh, no, that's a cool story, man. And then it involves Ralphie May also. Yeah, no. And I turned around the other day and I saw you in the hallway. I was like, oh, Tom Rhodes. It's like, Sam, we got to get him. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I loved Ralphie. Ralphie would always, uh, Ralphie always uh, paid me a lot of respect, but sometimes he would do it in a funny way. I remember he tweeted like a year ago. Tom Rhodes is one of the most underrated comedians in the, um, the world. And he gets no respect from anyone. Like, the way he oh, yeah, worded it, yeah. it was like, and no one hey. respects him. And I was like, what the fuck is that? No one respects me? My mother, you know? You know, it's like when someone goes, <laughs> when someone goes, I don't care what people say. You're a good guy. You're like, well, what do people say? <laughs> it was like, it started out with like the greatest compliment in the world. You're one of the most underrated comedian, great joke writers. <laughs> you could have just cut it off there there he goes tell us about your podcast uh my podcast is called tom Rhodes radio smart camp and uh it's here <clears throat> it's on the um uh the, all things comedy yeah the, it's I, I i i it's on the tom and bert uh <laughs> comedy network that's why i was um yeah tom Rhodes radio smart camp i um I didn't live anywhere for 10 years, so my podcast originally was me interviewing people, comedians mostly all around the world in my travels. And I got, I got a lot of great ones. I got to do um, Steve Wozniak, uh, who invented Apple Computers. Kim.com. Got to do Kim.com while I was wow, in New Zealand. That, and that was interesting. That was a huge one. Yeah. And uh, I was on the NPR of New Zealand, and they said, what do you want to do while you're in New Zealand? And I said, I know it sounds bizarre, but I'd like to interview Kim.com for my podcast. I, I, I find him really interesting, and I think he's demonized in the Western media. Mm-hmm. So uh, if he wasn't listening, someone who works for him was, and he followed me on Twitter like two hours later, and then I sent, we traded uh, DMs, and next thing you know, I'm at his palatial mansion. Oh, how was anyway. that? Yeah, It was great. The guy, he loves comedy. It's actually a really fun guy, but he and can't leave the island, or they're going to leave New Zealand. Him up. Yeah, and they—they've uh, uh, New Zealand Army and the FBI raided his house. It was like that was like three months before I interviewed him, so he was still pretty. Um, That's crazy. Reeling from that, and um, after I moved to Los Angeles, you know, so many comedians doing podcasts with other comedians. So, uh, and and I still talk to other comedians and stuff, but I'm trying to go a little deeper and talk about things that I really love, um, like, like books that I read and things that I'm into. So I think that's great. I, think that's I did a three-part uh, uh, series on the French Revolution. Uh, the one on Voltaire was, I think, one of your original knowledge nuggets. Yeah. And I, it changed my entire notion on French people in general. Like, I always just had this idea that after Napoleon brought away all the alpha males, France was left with nothing but betas, or beta cucks as you would say, Sam, so that Voltaire one you guys should definitely check out, it will change your mind on, the dude is like a the original rock star. Voltaire uh, you know, there wasn't comedy then, I think the originated I, to, in my mind, 
Mark Twain was the first stand-up comedian. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he originated it doing lectures, and the very first lecture was October 2nd, 1866 in San Francisco. And that's why I've always referred to San Francisco as the Jerusalem of stand-up comedy. Uh, but also Oscar Wilde, I think, um, was like a stand-up comedian, although he didn't give live lectures. Um, but, you know, he, he, was, he was very funny. But, but Voltaire, before both of those gentlemen, uh, his whole philosophy was that you could not be conquered if you could laugh at your oppressors or the church or the, the, the monarchy or whoever was keeping you down. Once you've laughed at something or someone, you can never hold them in regard ever again. Right. That that was the, I get that. Uh, what was his quote that I always love? Uh, Advance onward towards truth, my brothers, while always laughing under your breath. So his whole philosophy is, was, uh, was laughter. And uh, one of my favorite quotes is, um, of Voltaire is, God is a comedian performing in front of an audience too afraid to laugh. Wow. Obviously, God had also performed at Yuck Yucks in Toronto. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the, it's, it's like the more we change, the more we're the same, right? I mean, like I see a lot of what you're talking about right, ne right now in kind of where comedy's at in Los Angeles or just in general. Uh, a lot of fear. I think there's a lot of fear of making fun of authorities right now. Uh, I think people are I, – I think we live in a world right now where uh, honesty and truth is somewhat seen as uh, edgy and uh, risk-taking. And I get, I get nervous that we're missing – like I have an opinion that stand-up of all the arts is so um, – authority is so afraid of it. Because it is the last of the real free speech, meaning, you know, most most art to to uh, put on a production of some sort takes money, a lot of money, to put it on. You know, to put on a play, to uh, make an album. You know, I mean, like make a movie. You know, put a TV show on. Like this takes a lot of money, and with that, uh, you can control somebody, control the message. Stand up. It. I just need a microphone if i even need that and it's the easiest way to you know there, uh, there's a line i remember hearing on hbo for a show that didn't last that long and the line was uh get them laughing slip them the truth and uh we see a lot of that going on right now and it's it's a real struggle in my comedy right now too because as i move on to this new hour what i want to talk about versus what the crowd is really there for is almost like two different things you know like, I really, I mean, like, I, the whole saying is don't talk about politics or religion on stage. Like, I think we're in an interesting time where people do want to hear politics, but without, like, without, like, shitting on one group or the other and just really, like, taking, you know, the power to task. And people don't get that, you know? And it's, it's, it's a very delicate, delicate line to walk. And laughter can unite us, you know? We can laugh at ourselves. That's what it... What is the age old? We're so split up right now. It's well, I, I think you can talk. I think you can talk about anything as long as it's funny, right? You know? And like it, and it's funny as like people always say, you know, the polite conversation at dinner. You don't talk religion and politics. Why not? It dictates every aspect of our lives, and why not talk about important things while we're chewing the food? Um, you know, my leanings are are, are are left wing me too to say the least uh, my family are all hardcore right wing Christian Republicans and they always want to like you know the, the, the say you know I'm a Democrat and you know mention things like that as and I've stressed to them over and over thousands of times that I'm so far left that the Democrats are right wing to me uh, I think our, our two-party system is wrong for a country as large and as diverse as ours, I think that they're controlled by money groups and lobbyists, and they don't represent any of our interests. And other than guns and abortion and a few hot-button issues, there's not much difference between either party. It's the they, truth. They, they each maintain their party uh, lines. They, they don't compromise, and they don't... Um, 
They don't serve the people too well. I lived in the Netherlands for five years. My wife is from Holland. <clears throat> Holland has 16 political parties, and they have three Christian parties. You have the Christian right, which would be kind of like the Republicans, uh, and then there's the Christian left, be, and that, that's the open-minded liberal Christian. Imagine that there will be more than one flavor of Christian. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the third Christian party, which is the Christian green left party, which is the environmentally conscious left-wing Christians who think that the Christian left is too far right. So, um, you know, our whole system is fucked. And uh, do we want to go into the Electoral College? Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to hear it all. I, uh, I did this bit. I did this bit on my last album. I should, uh, and I, I, I stopped doing it because it's, you know, we're past the election and everything, but we got to get rid of the Electoral College. It's never been explained to any of us, and Republicans keep winning elections through the Electoral College. And I thought about it, and the Electoral College is the queen and the two. When I was in high school, and this is not a cheap story, uh, when I was in high school, there was a girl that I fooled around with a lot. And, uh, you know, the, the first person you're exploring your sexuality with, it's a very special person. It was a very special Shout out Lisa Woods. Shout out Lisa Woods. Well, I won't say this person's name because she's married. She has many children and her life has moved on. So I'm just emphasizing that I'm, I, I hold this person in, in the highest esteem. Nice. And I'm, I'm not telling a, a, a cheap story among gentlemen i'm i'm uh, paying honor to the girl but when we would fool around a lot of times we would play strip poker and she didn't know how to play poker and i didn't know how to play poker <laughs> i convinced her that a queen and a two beat everything <laughs> do you know how many times i dropped a queen and a two and she peeled off all her clothes <laughs> and we had sex so the point i'm trying to make is the american people want to get fucked yeah doesn't matter the rules of the game. It's still going to end up the same. <laughs> no, that's 100% true. So that's, that's my take on the Electoral College. It's the queen and the two. What's it, interesting about your comedy, Tom, I was watching a 1994 MTV special. And stuff you were saying in there is if it just you just reworded it, it would be the exact shit that's happening nowadays. Oh, man. Really? Like what? Oh, you were talking about drugs. And I was like, we still felt that way. It was awesome. And I realized... Between your hair and Mitch Hedberg, it's probably the reason I've ever wanted to grow my hair out to be like that's, a rock star. That's so. a compliment. I, I wish I had your follic strength, my yeah, brother. Yeah, we all do. We all do. <clears throat> um, so you traveled the world and you've seen many places. What you know? You always hear America. Oh man, you know we're the freest country in the world. <laughs> What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's funny in Holland. Uh, the, the the expression that you would always hear in Holland is. Um, Americans don't realize how free they are not, and Dutch people don't realize how free that they are. Because Dutch people are very conservative-minded. They, they, they have this, very, this Calvinistic attitude of, it's okay to party, but after you've worked a 50-, 60-hour week. Yeah, you know they're very. Uh, and my my wife is like that. Just, you don't like that. You don't. No, no, I like it. It's it's, it's a great way to be. It's the the Dutch believe in hard work and getting shit done. And um, you know, the only Dutch person I say I think I know is Boss Rutten. So I, great I would, guy. I would say that I had I had Boss him. on my podcast. He's as well. super. Li he seems like he doesn't care what you do with your life. You know, it's just don't cry. It's that's the, that's that 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 uh, in, in, embodies. The Dutch political mentality is, uh, and there's a um, there's a an old Dutch expression that uh, it's okay if you shit on the table, just don't get any on my plate. And that's they don't you, whatever you want to do is perfectly fine as long as it doesn't hinder. We can I, learn I, a thing I think I, I'm very much into that. I am very um, socially. I'm very like uh, a libertarian for sure. I'm very much into like. If you're with consenting adults, feel free to do whatever you want. I don't care. If you're with a consenting adult and you both want to get into it, I don't understand the micromanaging of that stuff. It's very interesting. So uh, socialism, what's your take on socialism? All for it. 
Uh, well, you know, there's this whole debate between like socialism and libertarianism. And, you know, a lot of times, I, you know, Duncan Trussell opened my mind to some libertarian views and I, I'm kind of changing a little bit on that. Uh, he brought up a lot that libertarians want to uh, do a separation between um, business and government because what we're seeing now is a lot of the uh, government people are then just moving into the business sector and the, the two are blending. And uh, that leads to a lot of cronyism, and they they really this is what Duncan was saying. They really want to cut that, which I'm not against that. Yeah, no, they've taken away all the safeguards, especially now with the Trump administration. Yeah, the, that's the, my the banking industry regulations and all these different regulations that kept corporations from running out of control, and they've stacked the system where um, you know, like. Uh, Corporations want to be people until they're held responsible, and then there's so many layers to the corporation that the people in charge can't be held responsible ever for anything. An environmental disaster, the housing market collapse, uh, they've, they've created this entire system of uh, protectionism of the people who are actually in charge making all the decisions. Yeah, I mean like we've talked about this before. It's like that 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 market crash of like 2008 was it? I mean like who went to jail for that? Nobody. And that was uh, you know and I I I loved Obama, but that was his biggest mistake. He should have held the bankers uh accountable for for fucking collapsing the system. Well, you know, it's like that, you know, for me, it's just like I see Obama like I see everybody else. And I just think that there's so much about him that is like never talked about or uh, nobody looks into and all this stuff that like, you know, it's like he bailed them out. He gave them a ton of money. And that's why I always tell libertarians, you really want to do this? You really want to do yeah, maybe, this? Maybe he should have let the auto industry collapse as well. But I mean, you know, it's... Uh, you know, the guy was trying to keep America from collapsing, and look look where we're at now. You know, even the Clintons, you know, they, you know, Bill Clinton getting millions of dollars for speaking engagements around the world, and Hillary Clinton, you know, they were influencing foreign governments to donate to the Clinton Foundation, and, you know, the the idea of them being shady and nobody calling them out on it, you know, your average buffoon in middle America said, well, why don't we go for this shady fuck? I do. I think that I think um, I just I just think to get into that area, you got to play ball. And, you know, Trump is just I you know, I say, I say the difference between Obama and Trump is that, you know, it's like your your significant other is cheating on you. Do you want to know about it or don't you want to know about it? If you want to know about it, it's Trump. If you don't want to know about it, it's Obama. I mean, a lot of stuff starting to come out right now. I just, you know, it's like you see Canada going through this right now with Trudeau. It's like this good-looking, charismatic, you know, liberal comes in and everybody. And I'm a liberal, dude. And I voted for uh, I voted for Obama the first time. And I remember when we were discussing whether we were going to have a, you know, health insurance or what kind of health insurance he travels to Germany conveniently, right? When the debate's going on and I'm like, oh, this motherfucker, it's all the, it's, you know, and it's, you know, and what, what, what the liberals felt with Obama, I see the right going on with Trump. They're like buying into this whole fucking. You can't it, find him at fault with anything. You know, yeah, and that was the point I was making with Clinton. It's, and that's, and we, we tend to do that in our tribalistic uh, yeah horde mentality liberal, liberal politics the the um you know to sit there and judge an entire group as, as bad going these people are bad this entire group is bad i obviously within our society that is an awful thing we look we frown upon that prejudice right i also think when it comes to power and politics that it is and the left and this town that we're in right now is very much going through this right now is this to look at a group and think that they're all good and they're and they're they're much better people because they are part of this group and I'll be like Hillary being a woman, right? And you see, like, I still see people tweeting, you know, we should replace all politicians with women and it'll be ran better. I go, that you're just, it, it doesn't matter, like, what group you're a part of. At the end of the day, the only color that matters is green and that's money. You know what I'm saying? That it all, it all corrupts. And the, the two party system is done on purpose 
so that nobody else feels they can get in the game. It's like, you know, Coke and Pepsi hate each other until RC Cola comes in and then they come together and they fuck RC Cola. It's all done so they could, uh, so they only have to bribe so many people, you know? And uh, I just, I just feel that like, we definitely need, I, I see socialism starting to kick in right now. I see a lot of people wanting to go with it. Uh, I, you know, so the, you got these people on the far right, they hate socialism, but they love the biggest socialist programs we have, which is the military, fire, the fire department, VA, social security, all that shit. The people that can't make any distinction, what is socialism? And, uh, and I am all for capitalism. Let me clarify that. I, I, I want to make just as much money as you guys or anybody else. As you can. And that's, you know, our, uh, uh American dream. That we've all been brainwashed by, um, but I also uh, believe in um, certain uh, tenets of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That uh, are you a Christian? Uh, I am pro Jesus. Wow, interesting. Uh, in what in what way? I, I find I, I find most Christians have no empathy or compassion for others. So um, I. Would not uh, I, I've I I I, uh, I, I instead of I, I say I'm pro Jesus. Uh, uh, cool. I think taking care of the lesser people among you is uh, the mark of a compassionate civilization, and uh, basically what Jesus was preaching. Yeah, the Maharaji that, even said to, he encouraged his followers to have a Christ-like mind. The idea to put others before look after his, old people. Yeah. Help poor people, you know. Uh, and Genghis Khan did it in uh, in, in his thing. It's uh, you know, it can't be fuck everybody else. I live in a big house, and uh, you know, it's it, 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 I, I find that like in today's climate and with with Trump is and and the evangelicals all rallying around him. Like when that story me Daniel shit came out. One religious leader said he should be given a mulligan, like uh, the golf do-over yeah. thing. Like all these Christians are so easy to forgive anything this guy does. But what about everything you fucking stand for in 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 Jesus's heart? Of uh, that guy represents just greed and blunt, uh, plunder and uh, not looking out. You know, he's not. You know, he promised to help the the infrastructures of our country and shit. Everything's been been cut, and regulations are pulled off of the banking industry now. And well, we've been hijacked. Our country's been hijacked by. Uh, but where is the moral outrage by these people who went fucking crazy because Bill Clinton got his dick sucked in the Oval Office and all these other things that? The, the moral majority of evangelicals in the United States have gone crazy about, for so many years, they are completely silent and complicit with everything that's happening now. Right. It, and even if you are a hardcore capitalist against socialism, there's certain things that are happening to our country now that should upset everyone, regardless of your religion or political affiliation. Let's get into... I, I just want to talk a little bit about socialism, because when you talk to any like person to write about socialism, their heads explode. And it's like... It's like their N word. They just they go crazy. And whenever you bring it up, they'll go they'll go right to like China killed twenty million people, Russia killed eighteen million Com people. Communism and socialism are very different things. And it's and that's that's what <clears throat> a lot of people making the arguments never. They always think it's the same thing. Socialism is a, is, a, is a benevolent uh, framework structure to help. The majority of people who need help, uh, be it food, housing, or education. My wife is not from a wealthy family. She's actually she's of the uh, she's a minority in Holland. Um, she's from Suriname. She's her ethnicity is Indian and Rotterdam. Uh, there's a lot of uh, ethnic immigrants live there um, because she studied hard and worked hard and had good grades. She got to go to the Harvard of the Netherlands, which is Leiden University. Uh, it's where the royal family of the Netherlands goes to university. And uh, she got to do it at an affordable price. That's 
socialism, for uh, the top levels of education to be open to any citizen who has earned the right to be there, not just the wealthy class who can pay to have their fucking idiot moron child who never excelled in his work in school, but they've dad's got the checkbook, you know? Yeah. You know, in their healthcare system. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the Netherlands and they, and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that it's a very complicated thing. The Netherlands, because it is a democratic, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a socialist democracy. Yeah. With a functioning monarchy. Their monarchy actually has hmm. some political voice in what's happening. So it's a very complicated um, onion to unpeel. But, um, but you, you can have democracy and socialism at the same well, time. Well, I think that's what the Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders kind of tried to run on a de- Democrat. It's basically capitalism with safeguards. And that, you know, this like it, it stomps out all the super greed. Which is what we should have. You know? but, we, but we have this lottery mentality, which is these people at the very bottom all think they're going to win the lottery at some point, and they don't want to get taxed on that money or any of that stuff that they think like it's going to go in if we get... Well, that's where we all got fucked in that notion that any of us can achieve, we can all be... And I've heard it said, like, you know, like in England, where you're born is where you're born. You know, some people rise up, but, you know, it's not like in the United States... We are all taught that any one of us can be whatever we want to be. Uh, but that's the thing. In England, they have resentment among the classes. And we don't have that in the United States because the guy mopping the floor, he doesn't resent some rich guy pulling up in a you know Rolls Royce because he thinks, you know, one day that could be me. But, you know, <laughs> it's, not all of us are going to be able to rise to the top. Yeah. So... You know, here's the thing that you need to remember. In Switzerland, Charlie Chaplin was, after he died, two guys in the village where he lived, they were auto mechanics, they dug up his body and they ransomed his corpse to his family. Switzerland is the wealthiest country in the world, or per capita, however you want to slice it. Um you can be rich, non-caring fucking people in your gilded palaces. Not that Charlie Chaplin was like this. I just think it's a cautionary tale to rich people who Did don't... Did they pay it? Who don't want to... No, they didn't. But they, 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 they busted the guys and they got him back. And now he's, you know... Like Lincoln, almost... His body was almost stolen uh, right after he was buried. So if you go to Springfield, Illinois, his is... He's in like a massive slab of concrete, as is Charlie Chaplin. But, you know, uh, you can live in your gilded palace and not care about uh, poor people in the world. But, uh, you know, just make sure you bury your corpse in a big slab of concrete. You know, when they talk about uh, they talk about socialism, they talk about redistribution of the wealth. You who's going to do that? That's what that that is the buzzword. Now, I that's would, that that's like Rush Limbaugh. Uh, it's uh, it, it, it's it's uh, it's pure ignorance. Well, if you look at uh, you look at what's going on, I don't know how uh, you know you tour the country. You ever go to these like small towns in these Midwest, North, you know, in North, uh, Northern, Eastern United States? They've been devastated by NAFTA. Devastated. Like my hometown, six oh seven, Cortland, New York, is struggling to keep anybody there because there's no industry. There's no there's nothing being built. There's no, you know, there's no anchor for people to rally behind and go make a good living because it's all been shifted out to China, to Latin America. And to me, that is redistribution of the wealth. That is that is what is going on. If you look at those countries, they've had kind of a growth in their uh, their. Um, right. Because people don't want to, you know, they they've destroyed all the unions. They don't want to give uh workers a living wage in this country and so they've you know and trump one of his selling points that sounded appealing was that they would penalize companies that took their businesses out of 
you know, how can you benefit from? I mean, look, I use Apple. He is Pro- doing I something use, with I use, China. I mean, like, I, you know, that's the thing for Trump. It's like you got to give him some points on some things, and he is trying to get China to stop tariffing us. And that's the whole thing when I hear, you know, everybody's like, oh, dude, isolation, can't do that. You know, free trade's best. It's not free, man. They China has a giant trade tariffs on us. Mm-hmm. So anything that we build here that goes there, we got to pay a tax on. That was done purposefully. Now he's trying to take that down. Uh, to me, that's like, I hate free trade. I think free trade isn't free. It costs everything. In my opinion. So there has to be this kind of, okay, at least he's trying on that front. Okay. But the point I'm trying to make is I think American companies should be held uh, somewhat responsible for the predicament of what's going on in your hometown and a lot of places in America that are completely fucked and without jobs. I mean, you know, I, I, I use Apple products, but they don't want to pay taxes. And they're, they've repositioned themselves in... Ireland or wherever else. Yeah, Panama Papers. So that they don't have to... Yeah, the Panama Papers, all those companies and people... $14 trillion worth of... uh, If you're making all this money, why can't you pay some taxes so that the human beings who use your products and work for you, you know, like... You keep taking money out and you put nothing back in, eventually it's all going to crumble because there's going to be nothing, you know? It's just the way it is. And who... At some point, capitalism... You can make so many. See what happens is you have to keep making. You have to keep raising your profits, and sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes you saturate, and in order to now keep it going, you have to cut back here, meaning cutting your expenses on labor and all that other stuff. So then you keep cutting, you keep cutting, keep cutting. Then pretty much your whole labor force has been cut out, and nobody has money to buy anything. Eventually, it's going to crash and burn because you won't, and no one will have any money to buy anything. And then it doesn't matter what you cut because it's just going to, you're just eating yourself alive. Perhaps this is the natural process because we've been here before in history. The Industrial Revolution, there were people called the Ludites that would break into factories and smash these machines that were taking their jobs. Well, if the goal for humanity is to always get to automation and at some point in time, fully automation. When robots grow our food, do everything for us, fix our cars, fix other robots, at some point in time, us humans have to get, get right with being a human. With when, you don't, when you don't have to be in the grind, what, what do you do? to like? That's what really kills me. It's like if we're just this system of go, 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 at some point in time, we're going to be at like 80% automation on planet Earth. Because we went from wooden planes and canvas in the very first World War I to 50 years we have a we have the Apollo. So if that short of time happens, then you can only imagine in like my nephew's time, he's going to see potentially like 40% automation. Then in his nephew's time, they'll see closer to 70. And I mean, at some point in time, we need to get better at being humans yeah. than being Americans, capitalists, communists. Like at the end of the day, you know, it's crazy when, because when, we are going to get into it, but I see the mirror of how we villainize. I'm a kid of the 80s. We always villainize the Russians and the Chinese. And now here I'm 37. It's like, who are our villains right now? The Russians and the Chinese, but we have more in common with them than we don't, you know? I, lo- I love China. I've spent a lot of time there. I love you. <laughs> you guys I've, been, love- I've been to St. Petersburg, Russia, uh, and, and St. Petersburg is great. Uh, you know, the. The Russians are are at a frightening level of nationalism. Um, I've seen prosperity in China take a great leap in the last 20 years. 20 years ago, it was like primarily bicycles, and you saw very impoverished people. And I've gone there a lot over the last 20 years. And their overall human situation has greatly improved. And then, like, the architecture in China, one thing that you rarely hear about— the skyscrapers, you go around to different cities in, in China, the skyscrapers are, are amazing. They're like, they, they're, they're, they're crushing us on new, uh, you know, um, magnificently designed skyscrapers and stuff. I think it's interesting what you say about automation. You know, like, when I go to the bank, I never deposit. My wife, you know, you can, you can take a picture of your check and deposit it over your phone. She likes to do that. I like to actually walk to the bank and stand in line and 
you know, do it with just for the the human being yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing at the at at the at the drugstore. You know, it's like to have that little moment exchange with a human being. Um, the thing in China that we should be aware of is it could be in the future, like with facial recognition recognition technology. They're really going to be able to, you know, I mean, it already exists, and we've helped accelerate it through tagging all of our photos on Facebook. Um, they can keep track of us wherever we're at at any time. But something China has done is this um, personal credit uh, credit report thing. Social where, credit? This, well, you can have your credit card turned off, and you have no power to do anything. For what? For what violations? Well, I mean, if you... Um, you know, if 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 you've gone, speak out against government or something, out, like yeah, that. Or, or or I mean, I you know, I, I love China and plan on going back there a lot. Oh, okay, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, imagine the scenario mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, I can imagine that, that anybody, whatever this future you're talking of eighty percent. Well, that's the whole automation thing. and yeah. what what the world will look like, and if you get out of line. In whatever way, turn off your credit. Turn off your fucking credit. You turn off your uh, your power to exist as a human being, whatever that may be. You're, all, you know, we're almost there though. Well, I, I mean, if I don't yeah. pay my taxes, they're going to put me in a human zoo. They say if you uh, basically, um, you know, that's why they're trying to get us to moneyless. Because then, it, you know, if you don't play ball, they can just take shut down your access to your. To uh, your credit, you know, if you only walk around with credit cards, you don't actually have cash on you. They could shut your credit cards off, and then you're done. And you could see that a lot. China's very interesting because you go there, you're like, this isn't that bad. But I guess as like a, um, I guess that's as an expat, you know, they kind of let you do your own thing as long as you don't fucking. I, 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 there's great pride, and I'm sorry to cut you off. No, it's fine. Um, I got a lot of great friends there. You know, people are very proud. And rightly so. The the country has has, has lifted it up, itself up. Uh, for there was a lot of mass poverty. There's so many people. Um, you know, uh, there was something that I I forget. I lost the thought, but it was something I I thought I wanted to tell you a minute ago when you're talking about socialism. Brilliant book that I read last year. The book is about a, I think it's a hundred years old. It's called The Ragged Trousered Philanthropists. Yeah. And it's everything that you're talking about. Whenever anybody mentions socialism, these are, there's these house painters and guys working on houses and construction. It's such an excellent book. And the people are all nationalistic. They love, it takes place in England. They love England. They love the queen. And, uh, and they're all, none of them, are, they they have nothing. They barely have the clothes that they that they're working in. They all got families. They can't feed their families. They have to keep like um, uh, pawning the furniture yep. to survive for an extra couple of weeks. Kids are die, dying of malnutrition. Everybody's fucking starving and broke. And uh, they blame the foreigners. Yeah, the foreigners are taking coming to take away the job. All the conversations in it are still the same conversations. They're happening now, and you and you reminded me when you you said that for sure. Same man. words, um, and then it, there's a few instances in the book where, like, the one guy is a socialist who who, who goes through the uh, the story, and you think he's the hero, but then it turns out, um, like, there was some guy he's trying to rally the people into socialism. Anytime anyone mentions the word socialism. Everyone beats the shit out of him. The whole village gangs up and beats the shit out of him. And they drive out the socialists and all they talk about socialism is the is in line with the devil. And so they're all like super religious. They're all super nationalistic. And they cling to their love of country and their love of their God. Uh, and they are open to no new ideas. And anytime anyone mentions socialism, they get their ass beat. And they can't see the real problem right in front of them uh, who are their oppressors and people who For are, sure. are, are not p- 
paying them a living wage. You see it in this country, too. People hate, oh, all these illegals. These illegals are taking their jobs. Now, the people taking your jobs are the su- wearing suits in boardrooms who send your jobs there. To, to India. And, to yeah, India. China, to pay them a dollar. Okay, yeah. That's a take. But, but people, I think, feel so powerless that they just want to. It's easier to shit down than to shit up. Well, and it's easier to listen to a Sean Hannity or a Rush Limbaugh and not form opinions of your own and not read shit on your own well, I also and find see- out, you know, how the world actually works. And, you know, I couldn't agree it's, more. Not, it, it, it's not the Honduran who has sat on top of a train uh, in the hot sun for fucking three days mm-hmm. just to, in hopes of trying to cross the border who's taking your job yeah and their jobs have been uh, you know their countries have been devastated by uh, free trade the drug wars you know that's why they come here because we've completely destabilized their areas they can't make a living wage in mexico because there's no job to pay anything because businesses go there purposely not to pay a living wage they want to pay nothing to build something so they can't get anything there so they come here and then, and then these people fight, you know, and it's like we have, it's, I mean, like right now, like in the early 2000s, Fox News was the crazy network and they're still the crazy network. But right now with MSNBC and this Russian collusion and all this crazy, they're just as batshit crazy too right now. And it's like we're getting spit roasted by these two because there's no like middle going, hey, dude. It's going to be okay. You know, everybody hates Russian redacted tonight. The, the, that's, RT, yeah. that's funded by the Russian uh, uh, government. And that sounds really bad when you hear it. But watch what they're talking about. They're the, they're the only ones doing anything real out there. Mm-hmm. They're talking about real ass shit because our news is so owned by corporations. They control the man. Like, that is fascism, man. When you really, everybody thinks fascism is Nazism, that it's Nazis, and it's not. Right. It's the blending of business with government. And that's what, that's what's going on right now, man. We have giant corp. I mean, look at Amazon and the Washington Post. The CIA, Amazon, basically came together to buy the Washington Post. And it's like, holy fuck, man. Bill, CIA bought the Washington Post? The, the CIA went to a contract with Amazon who bought the Washington Post. So now we have, you know, and that's all because of this, the, the Clintons deregulating the media in the 90s. And that allows us to get down to five companies owning everything, owning the complete and utter message. Where's the anti-war movement going on right now? There's none. Good luck. If you're on MSNBC and you talk about anti-war, you will lose your fucking job. And like, where is it, man? We're in, we're, I mean, we're part of some, uh, like Yemen, Syria, the worst humanitarian crisis out there. Yeah, what about the, the, the soldier that got killed in uh, Niger? You should give me points for pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> uh, you know, one ever talks about on the news... What the fuck were American soldiers doing in Niger yeah. in the first place on some secret mission that they got killed? Where's all kinds of dirty shit going on? Yeah, I mean, we've been hijacked by bankers, man, and that's it, and it's so fucking big. And, you know, it's so funny, and we got to wrap it up here, but this whole— We th- never got to talk about Genghis Khan? You know what, man? It, we just kind of let back? it go. Huh? Would you please come no, back? Well, yeah, back. totally. Um you know, with this whole NFL taking a knee during the thing. And it's like, let him stand. Let him kneel. You know? What's wrong with, you know, what's wrong with uh, people exercising? Fuck the bankers, their, man. This is all, all what, these guys. Uh, your employer doesn't want you to kneel during the national anthem? It's just stupid. I always thought, you know, uh, it's... It's all done on purpose, man, to get everybody to fight with each other. The NFL owners, they're all oil let people. people enjoy a fucking football game. Yeah. Can we have anything where it's not a political discussion involved in it? Well, for those players, you know? that's their moment to make a statement for something they see as an oppression. I get that. But I also have to say this, that if there's – show me a corporate corporate gig, and that's all sports is, is a corporate gig. Yeah. Where you can just, in the middle of whatever you're doing, start just making political statements out of nowhere. You know, so I don't really have the answer is that the NFL is greedy right now. And by putting it on the teams, they pass the buck. OK, these these owners, they're all hedge fund 
guys. They're all oil guys. They're all these billionaires that are helping spit roast the thing. So this mucking it up and getting whites and blacks to fights with each other is all part of it because you don't pay attention to all the shit that's really going on, which is needless bombing of black of, of brown people. For their fucking natural resources, and nobody wants to care because you're 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 like, oh, we got to worry. Oh man, that's disrespectful to the military guys. How about being? How about sending your your sons and daughters into uh, wars that do nothing for America but fucking help bankers? How about that one? Like, and it's just like it's amazing when you say they brought up the uh, you know Bill Clinton getting a blowjob. People are outraged because the media told them to be outraged. Yeah. And you see that happen all the time. Now. We will know what to think when the media tells us what to think. Fuck all those. Bitches. And to bring it full circle right on the way out, uh, like you said, we used to listen to our politicians and laugh, you know, laugh at our comedians. We now listen to our comedians and laugh at our politicians. We don't even listen to news anymore. People tune in to pod- would podcasts like yourself to get intelligent from the history and they tune into stuff that's happening like Jimmy Dore and Lee Camp. Podcasts are now like we are the shining light to maybe get some information or insight or empathetic side of view. So if you guys want to get smart, I suggest you guys go and listen to Tom Rhodes radio smart camp. It's, it changed my intelligence level. In Thank you. Brothers. Tom, you're a class act. It's always a pleasure to see you. You're one of my favorite people to watch. Thanks, and Sam. I Keep playing really the front of the net, brother. Keep trying. Thanks for tuning in, man. We appreciate it. <laughs> oh man, that's great. Oh, I love it. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. Is that going to be your... uh... Yeah, that was good, but we'll still use it.